It directs the anger toward the poor Mexican uh, working in a meatpacking plant. Well, he stole your job. Well, no, they busted the union. Reagan busted the union. Uh, That's who stole your job. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, a podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy, and culture to an international audience. Hello, I'm Andy Gawthorpe, a historian and columnist, and I'm the host of America Explained. We've got a great episode coming up today, but first, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about the show. America Explained is a new podcast. It's a family-run podcast, just like Grandma and Grandpa used to listen to. And that means we're starting out small, and we'd really benefit from your help as we try to grow the show. Please remember to subscribe to America Explained so you always see new episodes in your feed. There's also an America Explained Facebook page, where we post written commentary, and where we're building an international community of listeners. If you really want to help us grow, consider leaving us a 5-star review in iTunes or whichever podcast platform you use. This helps us find new listeners and it's a great way to grow the podcast. We'll be so grateful for this help. In the meantime, enjoy today's show. And remember, you can always email us on producer at america-explained.com with any questions or comments. We all know all about the Midwest, right? Or do we just think we do? Every four years, the media focuses intently on this region, which can swing the election one way or the other but often it seems they just recycle cliches about rural values, white identity politics, and declining economies. For the past four years, the Midwest has been seen as the home of the stereotypical Trump voter, but if you look at the polls this time, they show Trump losing. He's losing practically every Midwestern state, and that suggests there's a lot more to the picture than we've been led to believe. We need to think again about what the Midwest means. That's why for today's show, I wanted to talk to a prominent voice of the Midwest, Art Cullen. Art is a newspaper editor in the small town of Storm Lake, Iowa. He won the Pulitzer Prize for challenging agricultural corporations linked to pollution in the state. Then he later wrote a book about how Iowa has been changing, and he now regularly writes for The Guardian about the politics of the Midwest. I really enjoyed this interview with Art. He challenges the cliches we often entertain about the Midwest. He talks about how immigration has reshaped his town. He talks about how farmers' intimate understanding of the land and weather could lead climate change to reshape the politics of the region. He talks about how not everyone in the Midwest is a Trump voter and what that might mean for the politics of the nation. It's a great conversation. I really hope you enjoy listening. Okay, hi, Art Cohen. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Um, I thought a great place for us to start would be if you could tell us a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about Storm Lake, about home. Well, Storm Lake is a town of about 15,000 people in northwest Iowa, uh, which is in the dead center of the country. And uh, most of those people work in meatpacking. There's a big pork processing plant here owned by Tyson, and they also own a big turkey processing plant here. So uh, about 90% of our elementary school are children of immigrants. Uh, primarily from Mexico, and uh, but and a lot from all over Latin America, Asia, Africa. Uh, about 30 languages are spoken here, and 
that this has been going on this transition since about uh, since about 1980, and so it's become kind of a little cosmopolitan uh, spot out in the middle of the Great Plains. Yeah, and this um, so the the way that you describe Storm Lake, uh, and I think it's it's quite at odds with often the the idea that people have um, about the Midwest. So I I just wonder yeah. what are some of the things that that um, you wish that outsiders would would understand about the Midwest? Well, uh, yeah, that, that the Midwest is. Uh, yeah. Uh, not necessarily Trump country. <laughs> First of all, uh, it's uh, uh, you know it, it's uh, Chicago, it's Minneapolis, St. Paul, it's St. Louis, Kansas City, and then it's places like Storm Lake and Dodge City, Kansas, that are meat rural meatpacking centers, uh, Ottumwa, Iowa. Uh, that uh, Waterloo, Iowa, that are that are uh, just hardworking, uh, kind of gritty rural communities uh, that are changing rapidly uh, uh, and becoming more diverse. Uh, I mean, Iowa used to be, uh, you know, a 99% white state uh, with a few African Americans in Waterloo and Des Moines, uh, and now. Uh, you know, Storm Lake is probably half Latino. Right, and I think that this process of demographic change is important context here. So Storm Lake is in the county of Buena Vista. The population of Buena Vista County has been basically static since the 1920s, and because population tends naturally to increase, this means that people have been leaving Buena Vista County, so there's been this outflow of, of white rural residents. And at the same time, um, the population growth in the Midwest has mostly been taking place in larger kind of more diverse places so the population of des moines i think has tripled since the 1920s you know it hasn't stayed static at all but then this population growth and this process of diversification is also taking place in places like storm lake and that's mostly due to immigration correct there's uh two-thirds of iowa's 99 counties have been losing population every year since 1920 since the invention of the Waterloo boy tractor by John Deere <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, you know, the automobile, uh, and, uh, Buena Vista County is an anomaly because, uh, uh, because of immigration and meatpacking, meatpacking consolidated, uh, into, you know, a few locations and these huge meatpacking plants. And again, Waterloo, Storm Lake, Sioux Falls, Sioux City. The decline in, in uh, Iowa's agricultural sector has been occurring since the mid-1980s when uh, there was a farm debt crisis that drove a lot of people off the land, and it's just been wrenching people off the land ever since. Uh, chronically low commodity prices this is what we call a mature industry. Also, Iowa is a very uh, manufacturing-heavy state. John Deere tractors and uh, and, and a lot of those uh, jobs went south of the border to Mexico or to China. And so there's a lot of people left behind and a lot of rural communities or, you know, mid-sized, by Iowa standards, retail trade centers of 20,000 population that are declining rapidly. 
Atomo, for example, used to be about 40,000 people. Now it's 16,000. Uh, and so these these uh, rural areas in the Midwest have been rapidly depopulating since 1980. And... Uh, uh, there's nothing on the horizon really to turn that around. Uh, and people are moving to the cities, Cedar Rapids, Des Moines, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and abandoning rural communities. And what are the social and political consequences for those who are left behind? And the social consequences are we've become serfs on our own land. Um, a farmer puts up a hog building and incurs the debt of putting up that building. And then a huge company like Smithfield, which is owned by the Chinese, then populates that building with its hogs that the farmer doesn't even own. And so, and he gets paid just a subsistence wage. So essentially it covers the cost of the building and a small salary. And uh, so he's become, you know, kind of a, a serf on his own land. And, um, and it also, I think, leads to sort of, a, there's, again, these people left behind by this, uh, by this declining rural economy, and it leads to resentments that lead to the election of people like uh, our former congressman, Steve King, who's a right-wing racist zealot, and Donald Trump. And uh, the, the, because those people kind of flip the bird to the world. And that's how we feel in the rural Midwest is that we've been flown over and laughed at as deplorable. And uh, so we said, screw you to the world. Here's Donald Trump. And, uh, and that's until we, ad and, and, uh, until we address that issue, it's going to render the, the nation. Uh, and it's part of the reason we have so much racial unrest is because of this white anxiety of these poor white people who are left behind. And they're pitted against brown people and black people uh, in this endless uh, war of resentment. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk about resentment, a very fitting topic for Donald Trump's America. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about the United States for an international audience. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, tell a friend, and leave a positive review on your podcast platform. Yeah, so something that, that was really palpable to me when I read your book was that you talk a lot about this sense of disconnection between coastal elites and, and the Midwest. And you say that people in Iowa want to flip the bird to power centers in Washington and New York and California. And you also wrote that, that you feel that way too, that you want to flip the bird to, to these power centers as well. And I wondered if, yeah. you know, you, you could talk about um, your feelings of that disconnect, because of course... You're someone who's experienced this disconnect, but then you've not gone and, and voted for Trump. You've not gone and supported this, this right-wing populism. So I wondered what you thought separated your anger from the anger of those who have gone over to the, the, uh, the right-wing populist movements of today. Well, I mean, the, the, that anger is directed uh, by the system, uh, by the corporate elites, in my opinion, uh, 
Fox News and Trump and Steve King and all these mouthpieces, it directs the anger toward the poor Mexican uh, working in a meatpacking plant. Well, he stole your job. Well, no, they busted the union. Reagan busted the union. Uh, That's who stole your job. And that's when they invited people to come into these plants at half the wages that union members were getting, who were Anglos. And then immigrants flooded in to work at half the labor. So whose fault is that? Is that Pedro's fault or is it Reagan's fault for busting the unions? And is it the white guy's fault for letting it happen? And, uh, uh, but we get, we get, but, but it's better to foster resentment toward the black guy who has no power or the brown guy who has no power rather than to confront the person who's really screwing you, which is Tyson. So Steve King, who, who you've already mentioned. So Steve King is the, is the local congressman where you live. He, he represents Storm Lake and He's basically this guy who, you know, recently he's engaged in in racist rhetoric that was so bad he managed to get ejected, basically ejected from the National Republican Party, and that's saying something. And this was recently, but he's been a, con- right. a congressman in in Iowa since the since the early two thousands. And um, I wondered what you learned from observing Steve King, which was useful later for understanding Donald Trump. Uh, well, that Steve King is a populist. And uh, there, there's a good populism, and that was Tom Harkin or and our, the congressman who preceded Steve King, Berkeley Bedell. They were what I consider progressive populists, or the late Paul Wellstone from Minnesota, um, Henry Wallace from Iowa. Uh, these were great progressive populists. And then there's the flip side. There's Donald Trump and Steve King and a guy by the name of Tom Tamcredo and Louis Gomert from Texas and these idiot populists uh, who are, uh, you know, using populism when they're really masquerading as racists. And uh, uh, so that's what I learned is that Iowans w- uh, uh, and Midwesterners will elect people who uh, are, uh, will go against the establishment, go against the grain. We've been uh, pissed about it since they laid the railroads. And uh, and that's what Tom Harkin does. That's what Barack Obama promised to do. That's what Trump promised to do. And uh, But nothing ever changes. So the, the Midwest has this great tradition of, of left-wing populism, um, as you already mentioned, that, that goes back for a century or more. What do you think it is that, that led to the decline of this left-wing populist vision and its replacement by a right-wing populist vision? That's what happened. It was neoliberalism. And, uh, you know, we became afraid of ourselves when George McGovern got obliterated and uh, we were in retreat, and uh, Jimmy Carter just didn't have it. And, that, you know, it was a whole conflagration of events. But it really started with neoliberalism. So do you, do you think it's true to say that, you know, from that perspective, the in terms of economic policy at least, the Democrats and the Republicans haven't really been that different from one another since the time of Bill Clinton? 
Exactly, exactly. And that's why people uh, weren't fired up about Hillary Clinton and that for whatever reason they believed Trump when he said he wanted to blow up the system. And uh, all he really wanted to blow up was constitutional law. Another question that, that I wanted to ask you was to do with the relationship between racism and populism. So uh, a lot of people have trouble understanding this phenomenon, which was kind of common across the Midwest of people voting for Obama, uh, sorry, for people voting for Barack Obama and then voting for Donald Trump and um, eight or four years later. So, and this happened in, in Iowa. Now, I understand it's not necessarily that the same people who voted for both of these figures, right. but I, I think that di that did happen to an extent, though. So Iowa voted for Obama twice, and then it voted for Trump by pretty much as big of a margin as it uh, voted for Obama to begin with. So I, I right. wonder how we explain this shift, because it, it definitely, it kind of complicates the way that we think about how racism interacts with this story, I think. Right, uh, which has always been my objection when people said, well, you're racist. No, we're populist. Uh, and, and, but what Trump and Steve King do is racist. There's no question about it. Uh, and, you know, you could, and on the immigration front, you could argue that Obama was, was not a lot kinder than Trump, although he didn't put kids in cages and separate families. Uh, but he did deport and felonize a record number of poor refugees. And uh, uh, so I, I think you really, it's explained on economic terms. And uh, that is that Iowa hasn't really, didn't really recover from the great recession as the rest of the country did. Neither did Wisconsin or Pennsylvania. And the, again, these forgotten places they just continued to deteriorate at a more rapid rate. And uh, because as basic industries just, uh, you know, during the, the, the Great Recession, uh, just completely abandoned uh, these old river towns and uh, never to return. And so it's really, so people elected Obama on hope and change that never came. And, that's not necessarily his fault uh, because he did salvage the national economy, um, but at the same time uh, created conditions that allowed the Tea Party to foster and, you know, provide the stage for Trump. And uh, Trump doesn't, didn't solve any problems either. He just made them worse with trade wars and uh, mismanaging the pandemic, et cetera. Um, so that's why it's swinging back and forth is because this, this we've got a, a, essentially an ex-urban stagnant economy throughout the Midwest from, from Michigan to Pennsylvania to Ohio, where the only growth industry in Ohio has been fracking. And uh, that's what explains it. It's economic anxiety from decades and decades of decline that date back to Ronald Reagan. And so we're going to continue to go back and forth, I think, uh, especially those, those Midland states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Iowa. We're going to continue to 
swing back and forth between red and blue. And everybody wrote off Iowa, said, oh, God, it's gone red, permanent, perma-red. No, uh, we did vote for Obama twice. Uh, and I think it's going back blue this time. We're going to take another quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about how social media has been reshaping the politics of the Midwest and how climate change might do the same thing in the future. You're listening to America Explained, a podcast about American politics, foreign policy, and culture for an international audience. Like it? Then tell a friend and help us grow. One of the things that I think has has changed between the Obama and the Trump presidencies even has been this rise of social media in kind of filtering how people see the world around them. And you wrote in your book about um, how you feel there's a real feeling of disconnect between people who may live very close to one another in Iowa, but they have different worldviews. And I wondered if you think that the, and you know, you, you run a, a local newspaper, so I know that you're thinking about, about these issues of how people consume the news and understand the news. Do you see changes that have taken place in the last 10 or 20 years that have um, changed the way that people consume information and that changes the way they understand the world? Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, Facebook is a cancer on democracy, in my opinion, and uh, and it just has weird mystical ways of, of making people uh, into combatants, and, uh, which is not good for civil discourse, uh, you know, in a world of ad hominem attacks. And uh, so it's an awful thing. And there used to be a critical function called the gatekeeper, and that was me, normally an old white guy, a newspaper editor, who discarded the crazy stuff, threw it in the trash, and let through just a little crazy just to remind you that it's there, uh, but generally moderated a debate. And at times that, that you know, filtered out minority voices, and that was, a, I guess, you know, a collateral damage of that process. But we had a moderated debate. And we tried to include minority voices. Uh, we tried to include left and right and a little bit of crazy. Uh, uh, but then, uh, you know, Facebook gives everybody a voice, whether they're informed or not. And so then you have the blind leading the blind. And I know I sound elitist, uh, but I think the gatekeeper system worked better for uh, civic democracy. Yeah, I'm a really big believer in this theory that social media has, has broken politics all over the world because at, this, at the moment that it came to be so dominant, politics went crazy everywhere. You know, it came, went crazy here in Europe yeah. at the same time. Something that, that Steve King knows about as well because he spends quite a lot of time um, supporting far-right movements in Europe as well. I'm not sure if that, right. that, that news finds its way back, but... He, um, you know, when he made his famous comments about how we couldn't rebuild our civilization with other people's babies or something similar, he said right. that actually about a, a, in support of a Dutch politician. So 
yeah, it, it, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so the social media, you know, it it, it also it, it it connects people across the world in ways that aren't healthy sometimes as well. And I I do um right. I, I, I yeah I, I really I really agree with and you, you know, about the. It used to be that you know uh, humble people who didn't pay much attention and didn't have much education and didn't really understand how systems work. Uh, you know, they kind of relied on somebody like me to help them, to advise them. You know, <laughs> now they've become the experts themselves, or so they think. You know, and I, again, I know that sounds terribly elitist, and it is. Uh, but you need you need to be informed <laughs> before you spout off, in my opinion. You know, and people who are not informed are spouting off and are fully vested in that, in that media society and uh, when they don't know what they're talking about. Um, and that, that's a real problem. And that's why we need gatekeepers, sometimes effete snobs like myself, to say, no, no, you can't say that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, with, I'm with you all the way on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so we're um we're, we're running out of time here but just one final issue that i wanted to explore is to ask you the ways in which climate change and environmental issues have been affecting iowa and its politics recently yeah over the past uh about three years we've gone from drought to radical spring flooding where entire towns have been washed down the missouri river two towns hamburg and pacific junction iowa we're literally washed down the Missouri River from flooding, and uh, you know, and there's been a drought over western Iowa this year. There was a, a, a straight line wind called a derecho wind that was 70 miles wide and went for 700 miles, flattening 14 million acres of crops. And so, uh, if if you don't think the climate's changing, you aren't paying attention. And uh, farmers understand this more than anybody and uh, so there's a lot of anxiety about climate change in agricultural states uh if you you know you if you, you in new york you can go inside and turn on the air conditioner if you have money uh if you're a farmer you can't escape a drought do you think that in the long term this could reshape the politics of the midwest I think it already is. I think it's an issue around which people can come together because, uh, for example, there's a long history. You know, Texas and Iowa for example, are the two leaders in wind energy in the country, uh, followed by California. Um, that's surprising. <laughs> uh, you know, two of the most conservative states lead in wind energy. And... Uh, both the very conservative Farm Bureau and the very liberal Farmers Union agree on paying farmers uh, for environmental services like sequestering carbon through grass and forests and cleaning up surface waters by uh, planting cover crops. Left and right agree on these issues. Uh, it's, it's, it's just a matter of framing and how you frame the questions. And uh, on climate, here in the Midwest, people agree that 
that weather is getting much more extreme and that we've got to, uh, and people here, because they understand agriculture and science, actually understand that agriculture can lead the way out of this problem. So there's a, a growing consensus building around that. Right, and it's it's interesting how that closeness to the land and the understanding of the land and the weather makes people aware of this this issue, you know, in the same way that a conservative voter with his um, air conditioning on in Florida is quite removed from these realities. Yeah, and, you know, even the most, you know, most conservative farmers, I would say, uh, would be glad to take that payment to grow grass instead of corn uh, uh, because they'd be happy just to stay, stay in business, you know. Uh, and plus, I think they all recognize that uh, that we've got to change and that they don't really have a lot of choice in the matter because nature is forcing these changes when you've got a you can't stand up to a 140 mile an hour wind or a three million acre wildfire i thought a good question to close on and thanks again for being so generous with your time would be when you look around at your community in storm lake today what's your biggest hope for the future that the that will continue to grow organically and that these immigrant kids who are getting their college degrees now here in storm lake because they they have much tighter family bonds than northern europeans do uh you know we want to ship our kids off to chicago so they can get a job in an insurance cubicle and they want their kids to stay home with them and their kids want to stay with their families and so we're seeing these college graduates who are now becoming police officers, teachers, and loan officers here in Storm Lake. Uh, and really, you know, we're starting their own businesses. They're getting off the meatpacking floor and starting their own businesses, you know, bakeries, dress shops, mechanic shops. And that's what I hope to see is that organic growth that, and where these people become active civic stakeholders just like my irish ancestors did art cohen thanks so much for joining us well thanks for having me that's all we have time for this episode thanks for listening to america explained you can contact us on producer at america-explained.com or through the america explained facebook page i'm your host andy gothorpe designer and advisor is janice killian music by soundwave america explained is an apd media production see you next time